0: This episode is brought to you by the 35th Annual Meeting of the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, working together for the global advancement of safe and healthy pregnancies. You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson, each month we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Parenatology. In this episode,
1: am I the only one who's seen these
2: unpredictable events happen and cause bad outcomes? I remember being told that people suddenly died and babies suddenly died, but we started looking at that and realized we can predict that and stop it occurring. Welcome back to the third part in our series presenting sessions from the Management of Hypertensive Disorders of Pregnancy According to International Guidelines session held at the 2015 Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine meeting. In this episode... Dr. J.J. Walker outlines a case of superimposed preeclampsia.
1: Next we have case three. Uh, J.J. Walker is going to discuss this.
2: Thank you very much. This case is a, quite an interesting one and I, it, because of what it not says rather than what it says. It's a 32-year-old par 3 as we would call it, a par 3 plus 1 with lupus and baseline hypertension and baseline necropathy and a baseline creatinine of 1.2 by Euro units, which is about 100 and something with hours. I can't remember exactly what it is, but 112, I think. She was on a tenol and uh, ACE inhibitor prior to pregnancy and this was switched to labetalol when she became pregnant. And then she's now presented at 28 weeks. Now there's various things to pick up from this is that first of all what is our diagnosis? Now if you look at uh, the baseline is that what other factors are here? What is our A1 for instance? Was this something related to her lupus? And what happened in her previous pregnancies? Because you have no idea uh, whether she had normal pregnancies, whether she was hypertensive, whether she uh, developed uh, um, hypertension in the pregnancy related to her lupus or not. Now, she had a, a baseline hypertension and a baseline anthropathy and a, an elevated creatinine. So therefore, she's an at-risk pregnancy because she has uncontrolled blood pressure, a presence of, of renal damage, and she will get, um, probably will get worse during her pregnancy anyway. So that the, the presence of, of, of hypertension and proteinuria with elevated creatinine in, in the 20 weeks is not a surprise. Uh, the problem is, is, th- is this added superimposed preeclampsia, or is it just her lupus um, uh, affecting it? And in fact, she's not that much worse than she was when she first got pregnant, so the probability is this is just her lupus and not, uh, 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 not any um, superimposed preeclampsia. She was on a tenol and a uh, um, uh, and, and pre-pregnancy such switched to will struggle to control her blood pressure eh, because to the fact she'd been on a beta blocker and an ACE inhibitor means that libitalol in pregnancy will not control the blood pressure well. Her blood pressure will, will fall to some degree in early pregnancy and then start rising by around about 20, 22 weeks because that's what it does. And so a may be able to control it to a degree. By, by 20 to 24 weeks, you'd be expecting things would be getting worse. And many of these women will not get past 24 weeks because of, of, of particularly the renal impairment, although her renal impairment's not actually huge compared with others. But she's not, not therefore not surprised she then presents at 28 weeks. Now, the, <coughs> the problem when she presents at 28 weeks is she's high blood pressure, but not hugely higher than it was when she was pre-pregnant. She has some, uh, some more protein, and her creatinine is not hugely raised from what it was before, although you'd expect her creatinine to be lower in pregnancy. So at 28 weeks, she presents in this way. Is this suddenly worsening? I have no idea. I don't know what she was a week before, two weeks before, and so on. I would be expecting her to have a gradual increase of her blood pressure or difficulty of controlling her blood pressure over a period of time up to the 28-week point. And if it was her disease, underlying disease, that was worsening. If she was completely normal, which I would find unlikely, and then suddenly presented with worsening disease at 28 weeks, then you've got to think about superimposed preeclampsia. But I think this presentation is not a surprise. Her blood pressure does need controlling and a real function, in fact, is not too bad relative to what it was prior to pregnancy so it's not something you would worry too much about at this point although she is increased risk of premature labor so what's her diagnosis well well, she could have preeclampsia with severe features or it could be a lupus exacerbation and i have actually no idea although probably i think it's her lupus and uh, with pregnancy changes but does it matter that will make any difference of your management. And basically she's at 28 weeks with high blood pressure and what you want to know is can I control her blood pressure and how's her baby doing and how does she then do from then on. Whether it's lupus or not lupus probably doesn't matter a huge degree. So how would you manage an inpatient and she would be an inpatient? Well, the main concern is her blood pressure. The blood pressure is a risk of stroke and despite what Baja may think and certainly in the UK what we found by lowering blood pressure relatively tightly, not as tight as Chip, We've reduced uh, death from stroke by uh, down to one-third of what it used to be uh, in the 1980s uh, by aggressively using anti drugs. So we lower blood pressure. And then we assess our disease process. We assess the baby using non-stress tests or CDGs or fetal heart rate monitoring, whatever you want to call it. Autostone for growth and lycra volume. I would do Doppler uterine artery and Doppler umbilical artery and because if the ut- Doppler uterine artery is normal, Then that you're fairly sure her placental function and and her placental flow is good, and therefore the baby will be well-grown and the baby will do well, probably to uh, uh, may up to about 32 to 34 weeks, and that could give you that window. If a uterine doppler is abnormal, and uh, even if the umbilical artery is normal at that time, the probability is that she will worsen, and you need to deliver her before 32 to 34 weeks because of placental dysfunction and baby compromise. So lower blood pressure and what 's her current dose of labetalol? You can increase that to a maximum of four hundred milligrams four times a day. and then add nephetapine up to a maximum of sixty milligrams slow twice a day. So, you, so depending on what the control she is at the moment, you may have quite a lot of leeway to increase her doses to control the blood pressure. The point is, once you're getting onto maximum doses of blood pressure, uh, uh, controlling, and you've controlled her, then you should then deliver her by getting steroids and then delivering her, because you've not got another window or another opportunity to lower blood pressure after that. You want to stabilize her at a certain point, decide you can get no further, and organize her for delivery. So assess the baby. And for immediate well-being, assess the ultrasound growth for the presence of fetal compromise. You Doppler, as I said, if it's abnormal, then you'll have to probably deliver before 32 weeks. Ambilical Doppler, if it's abnormal, you'll probably have to deliver within the next few days. If all are okay, you can then concentrate on the mother and lower her blood pressure and keep her stable, and the baby should be just fine. So in summary you'd assess the disease process and you want to also know background how does the lupus normally affect her? Is it mostly renal? You want to follow her creatinine, see what happens there, you want to uh, full hypertensive bloods to make sure you're covering all the other things liver function tests, uh, full blood counts, platelets, uh, etc., and looking for any superimposed uh, preeclampsia, control the blood pressure and monitor renal function. If her blood pressure is controlled easily, then, and if our uh, lupus stabilizes and therefore our creatinine remains stable with no other blood abnormality, then cons- you then could consider managing her as an outpatient through an antenatal day unit, seeing her twice a week and the ranging delivery is based on on trying to keep the baby inside the uterus for as long as possible because that's the benefit to the baby and to range up until 34 weeks we'd manage conservatively We'd write a clear plan of how we're we going to control the blood pressure and what the steps were and when the steps have been completed and when you'd want to intervene. You'd write a plan for the fetal monitoring and, again, what parameters you'd be looking for to intervene. Document the maternal and fetal thresholds for elective birth before 34 weeks. And when you think you're considering delivery, give two doses of betamethasone intramuscularly 24 hours apart. And you deliver after discussion with the mother the neonatologists and anesthetic teams, and and after series have been given, if possible, and then if severe hypertension develops, refractory to treatment, or maternal fetal indications develop, as specified by the underlying plan. And that's how we would do it.
3: I noticed you didn't use magnesium sulfate, and I was glad you didn't, because that, that is a real risk in a patient like this that if you choose not to use it that the patient may seize and then not absent-mindedly, but by accident the patient get a bolus of magnesium and cause a cardiac arrest.
2: There's two things to say one I agree with you the the use of magnesium in someone with renal impairment is uh, something of great concern. Secondly in the UK we're not great magnesium sulfate users anyway and we will recommend the use of magnesium sulfate if someone has convulsed but if someone has been is, is stable blood pressure wise and we think is stable systemically we would not use magnesium Sulphate at all, so and some, some real impairment, then we'd be very concerned about it. In some ways, we feel that our risk of eclampsia now is something re- in the region of one in five thousand patients. It's really very, very low, and even probably lower than that. So, we feel that the the risk. Particularly, in a lady like this, of a convulsion is worth taking for the because of the problems or complications that you might get using magnesium.
3: I'd like to ask you, and then Peter, from the Canadian perspective, would you not do some sort of evaluation for lupus, like complement or
2: double-stranded DNA? <coughs> Well, we would be assuming that she's known to be lupus, so therefore that the diagnosis of the presence of having had lupus would be there. Whether you look for signs of lupus activity or not, the time that these are often complicated in pregnancy, and so that we wouldn't necessarily do that. And again, normally what I would do would be to manage her from on a clinical basis. If there's no evidence of any systemic signs that things are, are, are there's more activity going on, I would expect her to be like this whether her lupus is is more active or not because of her underlying hypertensive renal impairment that she went into pregnancy with I, I think there's more
3: enthusiasm in Canada for obstetric medicine than there is in the UK hitherto, though the the latest confidential inquiry in the UK has has supported that concept. So we'd have obstetric medicine involved in someone of this ilk, I think, in nearly every teaching centre in the country, and these women would be referred to a teaching centre. I think that would be relatively standard, and the lupus wouldn't be ignored, but it wouldn't have primacy of place in terms of responding. Uh, Just a, a, a couple of things, make sure you are validating your automated cuffs against a proper cuff periodically. uh, Most automated machines will under-read both systolic and diastolic by 10 to 15 millimeters of mercury, and that that can be important. And the other thing is, Baha said, we we do nothing for 12 hours. We just let them have severe hypertension. We've actually thrown three antihypertensives at them in that period of time, Baha, Mm -hmm. up to maximal doses, and they have failed, which we think is a threshold for delivery.
4: So you're saying 12 hours is safe? That's no, my we're, we're, we're
3: saying that you need to take time to respond. You can't just add three drugs right. at the beginning.
2: Just to add, uh, the, uh, I, I'm internally medicine trained as well as technically trained, uh, so that, uh, uh, so I do have a, 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 a medicine uh, interest. Also, I run a combined clinic with the immunologist that this patient would have come through and the management of this woman who came in would be jointly with her immunologist, so that, so that, that would be uh, expected. But in, in, I would still go back to saying that I, there's no evidence from what she, uh, uh, the way that case is presented that she has a, a flare-up of her lupus.
1: Are there any uh, questions from the audience yet? Yes.
4: yes, we would give steroids, celestone, beta on admission while we're working up the patient and not sort of wait to see if she needed to be delivered we wouldn't know when she would need to be delivered. But I think getting baseline compliments and giving prednisone just to cover all bases and start treating her lupus while you're waiting the 12 to 24 hours would be real reasonable, and that's what we would probably do, not knowing is it really just lupus flare or PIH. See, there's a question. In all these cases, I haven't heard anything about ongoing fetal surveillance. The baby comes in. In the three cases that I heard, the baby was evaluated, you do daily NSTs if they're in hospital, daily biophysical profiles, particularly those of you from Canada and the UK, and then Dr. Bahasa, by please. We, the only difference with JJ, we don't do Doppler's. Okay. We still use, you know, anesthesia and biophysical profiles. So Washington Hospital, do you monitor daily, or how often do you monitor Washington Hospital If they are severe disease, and we are doing pregnant management, we initially do them daily, And once they are stable, I'll shift to every other day and then twice weekly. The problem currently in the United States, if the patient is in the hospital, they get fetal testing twice a day. In every hospital in the United States. There is one done in the morning, one done in the evening. And you have to do this to keep the patient in the hospital. (laughs) Now, the other issue we differ with JG and my patient. I use Labetolol up to 2,400 milligrams. He uses it at a lower level. And then we use more rapid-acting, and a rather than using, you know, the long-acting, By so really we use higher doses before we say the blood pressures are filled, the blood pressure medications are filled. Okay, we have a question.
0: Well, I have a question uh, in case that you think that labor is impending and it's prematurity, would you consider treating magnesium for fetal uh, neurolog- neurological um, fetal neuroprotection <laughs> yeah. yes. neuroprotection
2: yes, we right. yes. would right. Can I just go back? to I must be missing something because I don't think this woman's that sick. Um, so, uh, so I don't quite. We're throwing penicillin at her and various other things at her. Um, she, uh, you know, she would appear to me. Uh, I'm not surprised by the parameters that she's presenting with at 20 weeks, considering <laughs> what she started pregnancy with. Also, we would have details of her lupus activity throughout her pregnancy. So, uh, so she wouldn't. She wouldn't be coming in just blind uh, to uh, to us. Now, if she was, she's still not. I would have thought that's, that, that's sick and that's the reason I wouldn't be giving penicillin on, um, on, on, admi- on admission Suresh had a question
3: Do you think there's any role of biomarkers um, I know there was a case report in hypertension about three patients <laughs> no, they had lupus nephritis <laughs> um, I no. I'm just uh, I know you kind of believe in PLGF I'm just wondering yeah, there's yeah, any so, role so, so there's um, a really good paper presented by the King's College group in, um, at the ISSHP uh, a couple of months ago which Showed in women with chronic renal disease, and it really can be very difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff whether this clinical deterioration is just a natural evolution of their underlying medical condition or this has been a stepwise change and it looks as though PLGF performs very well in discriminating between those two populations in that cohort it needs to be validated in a, in a separate cohort of women with chronic renal disease. The only fetal testing that we do that has randomized control, trial evidence to support it in virus pregnancies is umbilical artery. Doppler. There is no <laughs> randomized controlled trial evidence to support the biophysical profile. In fact, I have seen two stillbirths related to a BPP that was falsely reassuring, and that's my evidence, which is as strong as <laughs> yeah. Bar which is no evidence at all. So I so I would say that once a woman has crossed a threshold that you believe her pregnancy to be at high risk, and therefore her fetus to be at high risk, the um, gold standard Formal fetal assessment at this point in time is umbilical artery Doppler plus amniotic fluid um, uh, deepest vertical pocket or a two-by-two two pocket. We don't quite know which one to choose.
1: Can I get a, actually I'm just interested, can I get a show of hands of people who actually follow Dopplers and preeclamptics as part of their antenatal testing? I'm just curious to see. Okay, so let's say in the absence of a growth abnormality, do you follow Doppler's in a patient with preeclampsia? Raise your hand. And you don't. Raise your hand. And you're afraid to raise your hand. I, I don't know what to say. Okay. That's I, I, just interesting. So, What
4: do you
1: do? What do I do? I, um, I, I just call everybody growth restricted, and I do Doppler's, because I like doing Doppler's. <laughs> Uh, that's the that's honest truth. Um, are there any other questions? I, I, interestingly enough, we chose that case because we wanted it to be very ambiguous to whether this was superimposed preeclampsia or just lupus. And I think it, the differing answers you heard I think are reflective of that. One last comment.
4: It had been said in the past that preeclampsia
1: coming from the word eclampsia was an unpredictable event, unpredictable outcome and it seems everybody feels very comfortable sitting on these patients not knowing what's going to happen. Have we missed that abruptions do occur? Do we feel that abruptions will never occur if the hypertension is controlled? Um, do we feel that fetal status is going to be well maintained no matter how low we bring the blood pressure? Um, and ha- has, am I the only one who's seen these
2: unpredictable events happen and cause bad outcomes?
1: That's a very good question.
2: Well, I think that it's an interesting question. Abruptions is an interesting thing. In, in the UK, it used to be two-thirds of all abruptions occurred in hypertensive patients, and now, in fact, it's less than 25%. So, therefore, abruptions largely disappear from our hypertension, a preeclamptic population, and it's very difficult to know why. We still see it, but it's actually really quite rare, and it may be related to the fact we, we lower blood pressure relatively aggressively. I, I don't know the answer to that. As far as fetal well-being going off, it doesn't. And uh, if you monitor babies... Uh, on on a closer basis, if you've got normal Doppler, normal liquor volume, it's highly unlikely that baby will go off unless there's an abruption, and, and which we don't see that often. Therefore, it won't it, it turn out to happen. In our practice, if the Doppler is normal and the umbilical liquor volume is normal, then the probability is that you will not deliver the baby for the baby reasons she'll deliver the baby for maternal reasons so I, I, I don't think this is an unpredictable as, as people used to think but they used to think it because there's no way of telling predictions <coughs> I remember being told that people suddenly died and babies suddenly died but we started looking at that and realized we can predict that and stop it occurring. One thing I'd like to say about PLGF is that PLGF does not diagnose preeclampsia. It diagnoses growth <laughs> restriction and placental dysfunction. No. And it, it's a placental function test. Going back to the person who said we should do 24-hour each, each dials, HPL may well be just as good as, as, as PLGF, uh, but we've thrown HPL out um, as, a, as a marker. It's it, it, and, But the, the people in London have shown in the studies is it predicts stillbirth and, uh, and the babies that are going to be growth restricted and stillborn. It, it's not not been, been studied against a marker or, or of severe preeclampsia per se. It was actually a bad fetal outcome, and that's that that's where its benefit will be.
4: See, this is where we disagree. We you know with the Europeans and Canadians and the British again. I agree that we cannot predict who will have eclampsia, will not have abruptio placenta. Dr. Andrea Whitland, several years ago, you know, published the study in 445 women who had severe preeclampsia, eclampsia. She looked at blood pressure and all of this. We, as far as we don't. Now, true Jim is right that percentage-wise, abruptio has been decreasing in hypertensive. There is a reason for that because really the highest risk of abruptio is premature rupture of membrane as we are doing more expectant measurement this early. There is So most of the is we see now is a problem. It's not really in hypertension. It doesn't mean hypertension does not. Percentage-wise, definitely they are lower. So we still have to, this is why at the end of the day, we have to arbitrarily decide when to deliver these women. You cannot predict the clamps and you cannot predict Abrapsu. It doesn't matter what you do.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. The next episode in the series will be Dr. James Martin presenting Case 4, entitled Help Syndrome.
0: That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com amjperinatology If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology. This episode was brought to you by the 35th Annual Meeting of the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, working together for the global advancement of safe and healthy pregnancies. To find out more and register online, go to www.smfm.org.